What is happening on the screen right now? This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Picked off, and this will be a pick six. Eddie Heckard. Touchdown is the call. Five TDs for Gordon. Oklahoma State ends BYU season at five and seven. A tough one, to say the least. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. In so many ways, this is a winning Monday, except for with BYU football, who were not able to hold on to an 18-point halftime lead. That said, we bring in ESPN college football analyst and insider Trevor Maddich to help us determine what the heck happened and maybe what BYU could have done differently there in the second half to hold on against Oklahoma State. Trevor, good to have you on the program. We'll start with that one. Uh, what, what do you make of the second half specifically, and where could BYU have made an adjustment to win that game and be bowl eligible? The biggest adjustment, I think, was just execute. I mean, they executed in the first half. In the second half, they didn't. And part of it was because Oklahoma State made some adjustments, especially on defense, but there's only 11 guys on defense. Somewhere they're going to have a conflict. Somewhere they're going to be weak. You have to find that spot and hit it. And so there's a lot being said about how BYU threw the ball on first down so much in the in the second half and it was incomplete so often and things like that and they should have run it. Okay, you, you can make a case that with a big, strong offensive line, there are plays you can run when the defense stacks the line. And a lot of those are counters and powers and things like that when you're pulling people around and creating a convoy through the point of attack. But at the same time, if the defense comes up to stop the run and BYU ran the ball really well in the first half, then they should be weaker in the in the secondary. And so when you're running RPOs and things like that, the read takes the quarterback to a pass. The play caller will be thinking, okay, you're up to stuff the run. We're going to take advantage behind all those guys that are up to stuff the run. And at that point, you just have to execute. From a defensive standpoint, it comes down to doing your job. I mean, the defense for most of the game was absolutely fantastic. You expected them to wear down in the second half. But you expect them to to not miss assignments and have the reason that they they get beat on certain plays be that the other side is really good, which Oklahoma State is, especially at running back. And the blockers for Oklahoma State are really good. That offensive line for the Cowboys is, is very underappreciated on a national basis. But at the same time, make them block you out of the hole. Don't just leave it. And BYU did that a number of times. It's pretty wild that Ollie Gordon, the, the second, runs for uh, you know 4.9 yards per carry, and we're like, hey, that was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> monster game, 34 for 166, five touchdowns. But defensively, BYU did great work uh, in the first half, getting 10 points off turnovers, a pick six there. Uh, the offense also turns it over two times eventually, obviously one in overtime, double over T that it cost BYU. But turnovers almost got BYU an opportunity in this one. But blowing an 18-point lead is really sour to end the season because a bowl game was on the line and Oklahoma State had a lot to play for. But how would you kind of summarize the opportunity that BYU had uh, the last two weeks, frankly, against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and unfortunately didn't come up with one of those ranked wins? Well, you're right about the the competitiveness the last couple of weeks. I mean, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State weren't playing BYU in a position where it didn't really matter that much if they won or lost. 
they played BYU knowing that they had to win to stay alive for the Big 12 championship race. And BYU had Oklahoma right there in the palm of their hand, and they kind of turnovered it away. And with Oklahoma State, they had them. And then in the second half, they let it get away. What that tells you is that BYU is competitive, and they need to fix a few mistakes. And if they fix those mistakes, they can stay competitive. Now, this, you know, you talk about that second half and, and the defense. I want to be very careful to not make it seem like I'm being critical of the defense. They were magnificent for pretty much the entire game. But down the stretch, when guys started to wear down, guys started to try to do too much to compensate for that, and that was a problem. The last three touchdowns that Ollie Gordon the second scored were because somebody left contained. They just left it. Once it was frontside contained, once it was backside contained. It's not that they got blocked out of the way. It's just they decided – to come inside because the ball seemed to be going there and they wanted to help inside. And Ollie just jogged around the edge and scored three times between that final touchdown and then an overtime uh, in regulation. So uh, th this is where you look at the execution. BYU was, was there. They were there in both of these games. But turnovers in key moments, lack of execution in key moments, and they lost their opportunity. Remember how BYU has to win. They have to win by being cleaner than the other side and they weren't in either of the last two games and they still were in position to win and I think that's probably the most frustrating part for BYU fans is just being right there and the margin of error between BYU being seven and five and five and seven or even six and six is just so ultra thin so with that said, Trevor, how does BYU build off of year one in the Big 12? Uh, and maybe in your opinion, what is item number one on the offseason agenda list? Well, item number one beyond recruiting is focusing on the things that cost you the games. We always talk about how more games are lost than they are won. And BYU too many times this season turned it over even early in the first couple of plays of a game even that turned into defensive scores in the first couple of plays of a game. And they did it again against Oklahoma State, fumbled the ball on play two. And so these are, these are things that they need to take care of. I would love to see a program instituted where if somebody fumbles the ball in a game all the next week, they have to carry a football around campus. <laughs> and everywhere they go, except for when they enter a classroom, they have to hold that ball high and tight and squeeze it as if it's being ripped out. And then every once in a while, hey, if a student comes over and tries to hit the ball, hit the ball. You know, don't hit the player. Don't grab his arm, but have him just poke at the ball every once in a while, right? I would love to see that happen because this goes down to guys trying to make a play. When you're running with the ball and you see an opportunity and you try to just hit that opportunity as fast as you can, very often the ball comes away from your body a little bit to give you a little bit of extra balance as you're trying to burst or as you're trying to drive through a hole. And when that ball comes away from your body just a little bit is when it gets punched out. So it needs to be a better habit. So we start there. And the second thing is, uh, once again, it's, it's, it's assignments. Do your job. Trust your teammates. Understand that you can't just leave your job too early to help somebody else because that that hurt BYU at key times, especially on defense all through the all through the uh, the season. Certainly the second half of the season, and then the offensive line's got to get a whole lot more effective. They're going to lose some real talent, you know, Kingsley going off to the NFL, I assume, and uh, and and others. They're going to lose talent, 
but the offensive line, even if it has less talent next year, can be a whole lot more effective. And so they need to get that shored up because this season should have been one where the offensive line put the team on its shoulders and carried it. And that means helping the defense as well. That means the O-line saying, look, our defense is kind of thin. We've had a lot of in- injuries, especially up front, and then at safety as well. We as an O-line need to make sure we pile drive the opponent. We keep the ball. We get time of possession. We string out long drives to help our defense. And those things were extraordinarily rare this year, even though they should have been much, much more common than they were. So that's something that needs to be settled in. The, the good news about all this is that it's all very cut and dry. There is no mystery as to what needs to happen here. The biggest mystery, I think, is, well, not mystery, but they need to figure out how to get stronger and stay healthier. And so I think there needs to be a reflection on how the strength and conditioning program is run. I'm not saying anything's being done improperly there at all. I have no idea what they're doing with strength and conditioning. I can say that sometimes you do too little or you do too much. And either way, it can lead to more soft tissue injuries than you should be having. So there needs to be an evaluation there just to make sure that everything is happening the best way. These things that I'm telling you are not mysteries. These things that I'm telling you are are absolutely clear what the coaches need to do and what the players need to do in order to get better. And right now begins the team of 2024. And they need to start working on those things immediately. Jake Kretzloff started the last four games. Uh, BYU goes 0-4, but those were tough games. You're playing the second, third, fourth, and fifth place teams in the Big 12. Those are all good teams. Did he show you enough to feel like he's the guy going into the offseason? And or does BYU need to bring in a transfer to compete with him for the starting job with the other quarterbacks already in the room? BYU needs to bring in as many people as they can to compete with every position on the field. Competition is critical. For a couple of reasons. One is it, it creates more depth, but also it creates a better scenario with the starters because the starters know that if they don't compete correctly in practice, they might lose their job. They might lose some playing time to the guy behind them who's also very, very good. The danger you have is if you've got a position where you've got one really good starter and nobody behind them, that starter is not being pushed in practice and that has the potential to lead the problem. So Jake did a lot of good things. I am not saying that he did poorly. I'm not pointing a finger at him at all. I am saying that they need to bring in as much talent as they have. They need to develop the current talent they have in that quarterback room to have a a ferocious competition at that position. That will also be an example for the rest of the positions because a lot of people would think that Jake kind of should be the guy. He had those starts. He came close to beating Oklahoma and Oklahoma State down the stretch. Okay, good. He's got the experience. Let's move forward with Jake. They may decide that. But if they decide to throw open the competition, then it'll show the rest of the team what Jake, if he wins it, is made of. Or it'll show the rest of the team that every position is open to competition and Coach Satake will make sure that every position is populated with the best player that will help the team win the most. And he owes that to the rest of the program. So there are a lot of things that Jake can improve on. I mean, a lot of things. But at the same time, I think he deserves a lot of credit for going in and competing the way he did. Trevor, it's great to talk to you. We'll finish with this. If you had to define this season, the first one in the Big 12 for BYU, in a couple of words, which words would you choose? Disappointing, comma, encouraging. It was disappointing that they lost the last five games. It was disappointing that they they won some of the games the way they did uh, early in the season. 
But the last two games, I think, were incredibly encouraging, playing Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and being right there with the ability to win those games but for mistakes that BYU itself made. I think that's incredibly encouraging because there's a lot of conversation about how it takes a long time. It takes many years to get ready to compete when you move up from group of five to power five level, essentially. BYU showed in these last two games that they're a whole lot closer and maybe even ready now to compete at the highest level of this conference, as long as they clean up some of the mistakes that they're making. So uh, I am. Th- there are no moral victories. The team would not want to be heard saying anything like that or believing it. But as an analyst and as a fan and as a person that went to BYU and played there, I am encouraged by these last two weeks because I can see the path to competitiveness at a high level in the Big 12. Trevor, we always appreciate the insights and are grateful for your time with us. And I know our fan base really looks forward to Maddich Mondays. No disappointment once again today. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, guys. Trevor Maddich of ESPN on BYU Sports Nation. We always need a, someone that's bearded just on the show. We, we can't be. We need someone. And that's his beard looks fantastic. Beard. Yeah, it looks great. So we appreciate that element of Trevor as well. Yeah, Maddich Mondays have been a focal point and uh, one of the, the things that have helped carry our show during football season. He's a huge part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, we didn't think that BYU would start 6-0 in hoops, right? But here we are. <laughs> and the Pope Show is Thursday. They're going to have a lot of awesome to talk about. Fresno State in Salt Lake City Friday, but some big wins in Vegas over the weekend. The first solo Pope Show coming up Thursday night. 8.30 Eastern on the BYU TV app, Thursday night. And look, we, we know BYU football lost the game, but there were some unbelievable moments, including the fake punt. Does this somehow make up for the fake punt failures of the past? This is BYU Sports Nation. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B. Joining us now... BYU beat North Carolina after down 0-3, dude. I heard that. I can't believe it. How many of you doubted and turned off the TV I can't left? believe it. They, they did I'm, it. I'm still Never doubt this team. The, the amazing nature of that. On that stage, against that team. Against that team. In the Elite. Yes. Now they get Stanford. Joining us now to recap it. Mm. We'll see if they've actually come down from the high. Our stars, Brecken Mazingo and Olivia Wade Coteau, who scored the game winner. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. Welcome back to the show. How are your emotions after just a wild Friday night, now that you've had the weekend to kind of think about this? We'll start with you, Olivia. I don't even know. I feel like we keep just saying like did that really happen did we really do that but we did and so i don't know it's just been it seriously has been a crazy weekend just accepting that that happened so it's been great it's been Reckon, fun but by nature you're very calm and collected but mm-hmm. like did you lose it did you lose your mind on friday night i mean yeah like i got emotional low-key i feel like a lot of the seniors <laughs> did just because being down three at like three at half like I, I guarantee most of us probably had some doubts in our head, but then we just came out and played, and then just like having that perseverance throughout the whole second half and coming out with a different step, like yeah, it was just a wonderful experience, especially so, your senior season. Oh, so at halftime, Anson Dorrance says, "Hey, we're surprised we're up three nothing too," which was pretty, uh, you know, honest. He called it a fluke. Yeah, and then he said, because he respects BYU, and he said, "Listen, we're gonna put our two sixes back. We're gonna put the Emilys back." They let you do your thing. They let yeah. you guys uh, push forward. It took 40 minutes to score, right, from the 20th to the 61st. 
But once you guys got that first goal, like when did the belief sort of happen? Maybe it was before that, but when did the belief happen for you guys of, hey, yeah. we can still win this? Oh, I think really getting that first goal. I mean, in half at halftime, like there was a few of us, me, Breck, and Jamie, a few of us that kind of stayed in after everyone had already gone out to the field and were like, hey, like we can still do this. Like this is something that, you know, we – we can do obviously in your mind it's like okay this is we got our work cut out for us of course but I think after that first goal we knew that the momentum had completely shifted we knew that we were on these guys and we knew that they knew that which I think was mm. a really cool thing too that's and crazy so, it was still three to one yeah but, but you felt you could it. feel it you really could feel the hour. game yeah shift and so I think as soon as we got that first one we just kept telling each other okay one more we got one more just focus on the next one and then the next one came let's said, talk about it yeah Brecken was English right Olympico. Here. You score off the corner. Yes. What was that like? Um, well, first I was like, I was just thinking in my head, I have to get this inside the six. Yeah. Because that's where they packed yes. nine, oh, yeah. of, nine of the that's 11. That's always my goal. Yeah. Every time I'm getting up there to take a corner kick, and honestly, I psych myself out sometimes, and then, you know, things happen. But um, I don't know. The way I hit it, I just felt my body, like, shift. And, like, you know, hitting a curveball, you feel the way that your body like follows through and I was just like wait hold on this one's different <laughs> for sure and then it starts curving in and then I see that it just goes in because I start walking like forward to see if it goes into the goal and it did and I was just like okay now we're up three two let's go yeah but yeah it was it was great okay so that second goal you watched that Olivia oh, yeah. she scores on the Olympico and it's three to two in my mind at that point I was like BYU is not losing this game now. No way. Like, I thought maybe it it'll, three, it'll, three it'll go to me. overtime. Maybe it it'll go to overtime, but I was me, like, yeah. there's a third in there. North Carolina's on their heels. I felt like a third was for sure going to happen. So what's happening yeah. in your mind after you see that go in? Well, as soon as that went in, it was just like, okay, we're – like, at that point, I think we had, like, what, maybe 10 minutes, something left. I don't even really remember. But at that point, it's like, okay, we're one goal away from tying this thing up. And, like, okay, if we don't finish this in regular time, then we still have overtime. And so I think pushing for that third goal was like – Okay, like this is coming whenever, I don't care when this is coming, but we knew, we, we really felt that that was coming. And so as soon as that third goal went in, it was like, all right, just full send, everyone just go, go, go. <laughs> yes, we, full we, send. we can I fill, I mean, you score three goals in that time period, you're like, there's, there's a fourth in there, there's gotta be one more yes. in there, so. And the crowd, the cr once you got the first, the crowd like cranked it up. Oh, once yeah. you got yours, Brecken, it was like at 100 already. Yeah. And then when Bella Felino scores, a brace, and she got engaged, by the way, earlier this Best week, week ever. Like, she had the life. week of her life. So yeah. good, right? Once the third is scored, then I felt what you felt was like, this thing's over. Yeah. So 89th minute, you pull what you did against Utah, what, last year, right? Two? 89th minute game winner. When, as soon as you score, you put your hands on your face. Like, you knew what that meant in that moment. It felt like yeah. immediately. Yeah, I did. I think it was just like a rush of emotions. You obviously have to stay composed throughout the game and, you know – I think just as soon as I saw that hit the back of the net, it was just like the floodgates just came open and I just almost was in disbelief of what we had just accomplished because that is yes. seriously like the craziest story of all time. Like you really can't write that up any better. You know, you're down 3-0 against arguably one of the greatest, not even arguably, like the greatest, the greatest. program historically in, yes. in soccer. In any soccer. sport in the NCAA. Yeah, ever. like they're, it's legendary. <laughs> they're and so. I think just as soon as that went in, all of us were just like, holy moly. Like, this is <laughs> But you didn't crazy. say moly in your head. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Maybe right, not. You fake the right and you go to your left. Talk about the touch. that decision. The first touch was so beautiful. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I knew that Macy Bell was right there and I knew I had to create some sort of space for me to get any sort of shot off. And so faking the right foot, kicking it to my left. And then I just seriously, the, I could see the window and I just was like, okay, hey, just take a deep breath and place it in the corner. It's like, it's all right, you can do this. And so it was, it seriously was just the craziest feeling seeing that hit the back of the net. So. It was bonkers, <laughs> As man. you can imagine. <laughs> yes, it was bonkers. Olivia Wade, and Brecken Mozingo are with us on BYU Sports Station. Okay, Brecken, let's go to the final seconds. Like, you realize, okay, there's no way the North Carolina can score. The final seconds are going are gonna to come off, and we're, we're going to win. We're going to win this game. What's happening in your mind at that moment when you hear the final buzzer? Um, first off, I was tired. So I was just, like, <laughs> standing in my spot a little bit more conservative about, like, okay, we just got to kick this ball up. Um manage the game, all that good stuff that Jen Rockwood tells us. But yeah, I, what was going through my head was like, crap, we did that, you know? Yeah. We're on the College Cup for the second time, like within our senior group that we've like taken BYU to in history, like yep. twice within our group. Like Amazing. that's huge. Our core group is just awesome. And seeing that all happen again, it was just, it's just like a wonderful, um, feeling. You mentioned you're, you're you got emotional. the greatest group. Oh, under, in BYU without question. Yep. You mentioned you got emotional. When did when did the tears set, finally set in? Definitely, like just seeing the emotion of the other seniors on the team, and like realizing like how much fight went into that game, and how much like we've been through in the season, and just together, like the past three years. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like we get to live to see another game. You know? Yeah. We have two more games possibly in the season, and we're so close. We can do this. Okay, yeah. Friday and Cary, North Carolina. Stanford, you beat them in uh, PKs. They're on a revenge tour. They've been the bane of BYU's existence for a long time. Yeah. And then uh, if you get past that, uh, perhaps Florida State uh, yeah. will be yeah. 21 So this could be a very fun college cup. Yeah, I mean, I think when we saw the path that we had, when we first saw the bracket, we were like, okay, this is like it's almost the too perfect. ultimate yeah. revenge tour. Like, it doesn't get better than this, especially senior year. We're like, okay. Genuinely, you could not have written it up any better. So we're so excited to play Stanford. They're an amazing team, amazing program. They always have been. I feel like I would put them up there with the North Carolina. They're another very strong program. And so I think, you know, coming off of this high with so much confidence and just ready to play another game, I, I think we're going to just give it everything we have again. So, What's the game plan on Stanford, Brecken? Um, I'm not sure yet. We're looking at 1.15 today. So reveling we'll in this one, yeah. But I'm sure it's just like, you know, what we've set out to do in every single game this season is just go out, play our best, and execute our cues and yeah. play together as a team, be all in. I never asked uh, how, the, how beating USC went in the uh, household there for you. Oh, it was great. My husband, he, husband played at USC. Well, it's funny. We have a lot of USC gear, as you can imagine, in our house. And <laughs> I, I do wear a lot of USC gear at, house, at the house, okay? So this, I made sure that whole week. I was like, okay, nope. no USC gear for me and no USC gear for you. So <laughs> we packed up the USC gear for a week. And, yeah, so he, he's, he's the most supportive person ever. Like, yeah. he wouldn't think twice about cheering for anyone besides us so he was no, he was that, so funny that, he kept doing funny. like the you know fight on down he was just he was being so funny about it so uh he i hope there was some celebratory like maybe you didn't go all in on thanksgiving but i hope you got to like just gorge on pie and all this stuff after friday night i hope just i hope you celebrated to the max <laughs> <laughs> tried to at least i think yeah. i was we were it was a tiring game so the, the next were you day, guys I think cold it was just by like, the way whoa. 
Oh yeah. So cold. Yeah. Freezing. How about Lavenia? Except for lava. La lava's like, like no sleeves. Whoa. That's I, lava. Tongan yeah. International I asked tier. Her in warm ups, I was like, why do you have your thermal off? <laughs> and she goes, I honestly just got hot. And like the thing is, <laughs> that's before the game, she was like freaking out, texting in the group chat, hey, who has my cleat bag? It has my thermal in it. Like I'm just nervous for tonight. Blah blah blah. But she didn't even need it, so. <laughs> yeah. she, she was She's tough. built different in She's, a lot of different ways, so she, yeah, she was fine. She's tough, man. Uh, we're so thrilled for it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Congratulations. Good luck, Friday. Thanks, guys. Good luck, Appreciate Friday. Remarkable win. Ah, so cool. All right, uh, obviously soccer is a huge part of the weekend. How would you sum up the entire BYU Sports Weekend? We'll answer more of that right after the break. This is BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, I'm really on a grind. 247-365. And you know where it's like. 247-365. Always nice to see a 6'11 guy look so fluid with the Euro step yeah, right Euro there. Yeah, Euro in the lane. And, and then the bench oh, reaction after. Everybody yeah. doing this on yeah. the bench after. Covered like eight feet wide. <laughs> it was awesome. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station. We are live in Studio B. The man who produced that highlight and has produced a ton of highlights for BYU as they're off to their 6-0 start this season is Noah Waterman. Noah, welcome to BYUSA, man. man. Good to talk to you again. How you guys doing? Hey, we're good. We're not as good as you guys, though. Hello, yeah. And you. You guys are playing great, man. What's it been like so far? Uh, it's been super nice. You know, we put in a lot of work, so it's kind of just showing. I think everybody's trying to figure out what happened for you individually because you look like a totally different player. Your confidence is through the roof. You're making a ton of threes, and you're physical, Noah. Like, you, like what, what changed uh, in the offseason? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of hours in the gym, for real. Uh, we had a lot of hard summer workouts. And my emphasis was just like focusing on defense and not letting uh, my offense affect my defense. So I feel like me just focusing on my rebounding and playing defense really just rolls over to the offensive end. So um, I think that's the main thing, but mostly a lot of hours in the gym. We've always thought you could shoot, and now they're going in more. But that's interesting, that relationship you described. Does it just take time sometimes? Like being at BYU for a full year, it's like, okay. I know exactly what my sort of role is and how I can maximize my skills. Uh, yeah, definitely. When I first got here last year, uh, it's always hard to find like uh, your place in a new team and you're lear learning a new system, uh, just trying to adjust. Uh, especially for me, it was kind of hard for me to adjust the first year. Um, so I really let my highs take me really high and my lows take me really low. Um, so I had to learn how to just uh, stay neutral. Sure. Um, but yeah. Had to moderate that. That's a very mature answer. Again, your growth, Noah. Like, you are, you are the example of growth here. I keep hearing, and you've mentioned this too, but you and a bunch of your team has talked about the benefits of the European trip and, and how it helped this team get off to the right start. What, why was that so beneficial? Um, well, first off, we played against, like, a lot of pro teams. So just that, uh, just playing against that competition over in Europe uh, just helped the team overall. Uh, but I think the main thing that helped us was just, like, the team chemistry and, like, doing all these team bonding activities. Uh, because having a good team on the court, you got to have a good relationship off the court. Um, so just being there for 10 days, uh, always with all the guys, going on ski doos and having a great time. Uh, it just built our relationship off the court, and it's really showing on the court. Who knew, like, gelato and jumping off of boats could really translate to free <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's been awesome. Um, 
the, the fact that you guys are so connected and kind of trust each other and understand roles has been really impressive. Because you haven't heard, you know, Dallin Hall, who didn't start initially due to injury, and now Jackson Robinson's the leading returning scorer. He's coming off the bench. Like, no one's complaining about you guys. That second unit's really good. Everyone kind of understands their spot. Like, what's it like to play on this team right now where everybody seems to trust each other? Yeah, I mean, it's super nice. And I think to have a good team, you've got to have trust. So it's like, me, I have no doubt. If I drive the rock and I kick to the three dispense, I have no doubt the ball is going in. So that's what I feel like is really helping our team because everybody just believes in each other. Um, and having that belief in each other is really just helping us win. And when Mark and Cody and Nick and, and Cahill and Colin are like, hey, we're going to shoot 35 threes a game, do your ears perk up a little bit? Oh, I mean, I love shooting, so 100%. <laughs> you guys have stuck to that pretty well. You're getting up the numbers you want there, and you're making a ton too. Mm -hmm. This is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country right now. No, yeah, definitely, definitely. Noah Waterman is with us on BYU Sports Nation, 6'11", sharpshooter, and a guy who's playing some serious defense right now. Another kind of mystery about this team is the core is back, and we're looking at a BYU team last year that finished fifth in the West Coast Conference and didn't get into postseason play. So I think everybody's trying to figure out, well, is it like a, a massive scheme change? Like, you mentioned a lot of hours in the gym, but how different is the approach on the floor as to what you're trying to do X's and O's wise compared to what it was last year? Or are you just better at executing what the plan was last year? Uh, I think everybody grew, grew in confidence. Uh, definitely like Trey. Trey's grown a ton uh, and you can see him on the court. He's killing it. Um, but everybody is just a lot more confident. And as I said before, like we just trust each other. Uh, we did implement like a couple new things, like we wedge a lot, so we're shooting a lot of threes. Sure. Um, but we have this new thing where everybody's crashing the offensive glass and wedging. So if we miss a three, which we haven't lately, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get the offensive rebound and get a second chance. So yeah. that's like a, a main difference from last year. Great insight. What do you feel like you guys are doing the best right now? Because there's a lot going well. Um, I'm going to say our defense. I think everything starts with our defensive end because um, sometimes we start off slow on the offensive end, but we're just not letting the other, other team score. Arizona um, State was a good example of that. Exactly. So yeah. um, I think if we just keep, our, keep up our defense, uh, we're a really special team. Everyone wants to say and, and do this, but like uh, get old and stay old and grow together, but this team is actually that. Like I've never... I hate the narrative of BYU has these old players and blah, blah, blah. But this year, it's actually an advantage. Like Spencer Johnson being the oldest player in college basketball and Trevin Nell, who's made a tremendous impact on this team, is number three. What role have those guys specifically played in sort of the, hey, we're experienced here and we can do this together? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of times when we're like frustrated and we go into the locker room, uh, Spencer's always like the first person to stand up and talk to us and uh, try to get us out of the that. other statesman. Yeah, literally. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, so just leadership, uh, 100%. Uh, Spence is really passing the ball super well, like getting everybody um, involved. Uh, so that's big. But then, yeah, just the leadership role. And, and who knew that, I mean, Ali Khalifa is the one like new guy, essentially. Dawson Baker will be the second. Trevin technically is newish because he didn't play on the team last year, but like, what kind of difference has he made specifically? We're seeing him make threes and whatnot, but it feels like this team is very different and, and there's not a lot of new pieces here. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows Trev. Like, you can't give him any space or he's going to shoot it. He's the he's, shot doctor. Yeah, even if he doesn't have space, he's still going to shoot it and make it. So, <laughs> um, so it's big time for him. He really helps us space the floor. 
Uh, it's like, because they can't come off him. So it helps Dalen and, and Jax when they're driving. There's no gap. Uh, so just having him out on the floor, even if he's not getting shots, it just helps our team so much. I was laughing so hard when, was it Arizona State continued to press? And then you just kept banging threes. I was like, what? You should are you probably doing? not press BYU <laughs> anymore. Exactly. Why are you, you doing probably this? Probably not do Keep that. Keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the NC State game specifically, uh, so many parts of that game were very impressive because uh, your depth is being tested. Obviously, Atiki was not available for the altercation he had at the end of the Arizona State game. Foose is hurt, and again, we don't know his status and when he's going to come back. But Ali comes in. Uh, he hadn't practiced what felt like for three weeks, and he just like plug and play. He was so good. So let's say Foose isn't available for a little while, and, and your depth continues to be tested there. How does that change your role for BYU? Um, so I think I'm going to have to play like a little five, which is fine with me. Um, as you said, like I've gotten a lot more physical. Shout out to my boy Wiz. Uh, Wiz has really developed us uh, in, the, in the weight room. Is that yeah. Michael Davey? Uh, is that Wiz. what you call him? Yeah, I Wiz? call him Wiz. Nice. So, like he's a wizard or something? He's a wizard. Okay. He's definitely a wizard in the weight nice. room. So, um, yeah, so he's really helped me with that. Uh, but I think Ali, Ali is really going to have, like, a big role. Even you said he hasn't practiced in a little while. But he stepped into the NC State game. And what, how many rebounds did he have? It was wild. Like, he, a couple dime, great passes. Dropping dimes for sure, yeah. Like best passer in the country. That's 100%. But, um, yeah, so he's definitely going to help us. Uh, and then Tripp. Tripp stepped up, like, tremendously mm -hmm. when he came in. He came in, gave us energy, and did his role exactly how he was supposed to. So big shout-out to him, too. Greatest mustache on campus right now. <laughs> you a one-tube sock, one-no-show guy? Is that, that the look? Yeah, Might yeah. be the look? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, good luck against Fresno State on Friday at the Delta Center. That's going to be a fun one. No, definitely. Because at the same time that's happening, women's soccer playing in the Final Four, women's volleyball in the NCAA tournament, we got a trio of amazing games. It's a big Friday night. No, yeah. definitely. So Let's go. All the karma we can give you, go beat the Bulldogs, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Congratulations Thanks, on all your hard work, Noah. Hey, thank you. All right. Yay, okay, check out BYU Basketball with Mark Pope. Hey, first solo Pope show coming up Thursday night, 8.30 Eastern as the Cougs get ready for Fresno State. What a start. This team's ranked number 19 in the country. Noah Waterman doing work. Number 22 in offensive rating in the country, by the way. I'll be there for it. I'll ask Coach Pope about you, Noah. That's, what, that's a promise. Up next is BYU women's soccer and their come-from-behind win over North Carolina. The best comeback victory in BYU history. Or is it still the Miracle Bowl? This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Back to BYU Sports Nation live in Studio B. It's time for our Deep Blue segment. And the game of football, frankly, was very much a way out for Eddie Heckard. It gave him a path to escape some downright tragedy in his early part of his life. This is Deep Blue featuring Eddie Heckard. I had pictures for football that day. Little Eddie went to get his hair cut. We stayed right across the street from like a shopping plaza. I could just walk across the street. An area in which I begged and pleaded with my brother not to go back to. I remember my dad, he gave me the money, got my hair cut. Then as I'm coming back home, I see one of my dad's closest friends like running towards me and his hand was bleeding or whatever. Then he's like, somebody got your dad tied up and they robbing him. 
Eddie was born in the North Las Vegas Hospital. At the time, his, his mom was incarcerated. My dad was in prison or whatever. I picked him up from the hospital, uh, but that was already the plan that um, his parents had put into place. So I got the call. You know, she did the best she could. Obviously, when my brother came home, Eddie was his first, you know, first order of business. And, you know, he got him back with him and it was beautiful to see. He raised him, he raised him right. He directed him and he guided him right, regardless as to what else was going on. You know, he made sure he stayed on track. And he put me in track and I was playing football right away. I think I met Eddie in like 06. I ran to his father, he knew about the program we were building. Said that he was a really good player. And uh, we brought him out. And from the first day, man, one of the best kids I've ever coached. Uh, right out here, man, he's won like four or five championships right on this field. And um, just kept going. I excelled in football pretty fast. I don't know like how or from what. Like I was always a good tackler. My dad was like pushing me as well, but it was just like more of a reward behind it. Every time I mess up, like I give him a dollar. Anytime I get it right, he'd give me back money. It was a father and son bond right there, and it was it was awesome to see. Once he committed his life to like staying out of jail and stuff, he did. Cause a good dad in my eyes. But back then, we only have about like three fathers active. Ed was one, and like I say, he was trying to do right, you know, by his boy, and then trying to bring him up the right way. He was doing the best he can do, and he was doing a great job, you know. And it was just sad to see, you know, it all come to an end like that. Somebody got your dad tied up and they robbing him. I seen, I think the first officer that arrived, he started bringing out the yellow tape. I was like, whoa. And at the same moment, Eddie come running across the parking lot. The fire department wasn't able to gain entry into the house because it was an older house. And with that kind of security gate, they couldn't get in. And here's little Eddie walking through the crowd. I didn't even see him. He walked up to the fire people and said, Will this help? And he gave them his door key in order to get in the house. The officer asked me who I was. I told him I was his coach. Uh, we had practice. So um, I just put Eddie in the car. I still didn't know what was going on at the moment. And, uh, we just took off, you know, to get away from what was going on. I kind of had some ideas, you know. That ride to practice, man, you know, looking in the rearview mirror at the kid, he was back there, man, tears and he was confused. He didn't know what was going on, you know? He was scared, and I was scared for him. We grew up out of the crack era. We come from the crack era. So basically, it was a situation where he was selling crack. Once Lil Eddie was born, he never, once he got out of jail, he never used crack no more. So, but he was hustling. You know, he was just, he was in his home. Let people in that he was acquainted with. And they jumped him, you know, um, roughed him up, blunt force trauma. They was gonna try to rob him. My brother wasn't gonna give him it. He wasn't gonna give him whatever they was asking for. You know, he could have probably just gave it to him and been alive, but that's not how we built. And they killed him. And um, they tried to burn the house down in order to cover up evidence, but it didn't work. It didn't work. If I would've just walked straight home, I probably would've walked into it or something. And I think about that sometimes, it's just, it's the way God, handles things and, and everything happens for a reason. So I feel like that's the reason. I'm sure he had some morning days, but no, nah, we was, we wasn't gonna let him sit in the corner and just, you know, soak in it. You know, we just, we kept loving him, man. Just let's keep playing. Let's just, you know, your dad watching you, man. Let's go have this game for your dad today. 
You know, let's go keep doing it. Let's just keep going. Uncle Kyle and Marissa was there for him through everything. Like, they was at the graduations, at every game, making a way, just making sure that he was happy as much as they, as much as they can. So I know they probably couldn't get him everything, but he didn't know that probably. Like, they made a way for him. And still, like, he, he looked up to them. The chain has been broken. The chain was broken when he got his scholarship. The chain was broken when he entered into college. The chain was broken when he graduated. The injuries in college, the, the just the ascent that he had, you know, being a partial scholarship guy to a full scholarship guy to an All-American, it wasn't easy. And it didn't come easy at any stage. And the greatest compliment I can give him is he's very resilient and he's done things the right way. Even though you come from like a poverty neighborhood or hood with a lot of violence, like you can make it out. Like you don't have to just be stuck in it and, and do what everybody else doing and, and going down the wrong path. Like like you can make it out. Like now you got the kids down the street like, oh, I wanna be like Eddie. Like go to college. Go be great. Go let everybody all come together and watch you play. That's what breaking the chains is to me. Like just changing that name for ourselves starting a new generation of another lifestyle. Uh, I believe by faith, God has not brought him this far to not fulfill whatever Eddie's heart's desires are and whatever my prayers have been for him. You know, I, I live like that and I'm gonna keep on pushing it. I'm gonna keep on pushing that through my mind, putting it in the universe and, you know, and, and instilling whatever I can in him to keep him encouraged. I know he definitely making his dad proud. I don't even know if he know he making his dad proud, but if we proud of him, his dad for sure proud of him. Good job, Eddie. Way to go. Eddie Heckard, an instant favorite for BYU fans. He told me after the game at Oklahoma State, he had long dreamed of a pick six. He'd never had one his entire collegiate career. Wouldn't you know, his final college game. Wish he was coming back. He got that pick six. Wish he was coming back. Ah, oh, I wish he was coming back Difference so much. Maker. Up next, what do you believe is BYU football's number one offseason priority? Today's elite response next on BYUSN. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Welcome back to Studio B. I'm Spencer. He is Jerem. Hope you're enjoying your Black Friday. Let's get to your Friday headlines. BYU finishes up the regular season football at Oklahoma State tomorrow. The 5-6 and six Cougs need one more win to ensure a bowl game. Meanwhile, the Cowboys are in a three-way tie for second, trying to get into the Big 12 title game. If Texas wins today and Oklahoma State wins tomorrow, that is the simple route. There are like a million combinations of that, but BYU can upset that quite Play a bit. the spoiler! Let's go. Pre-game is at 1.30 Eastern tomorrow on BYU TV and BYU Radio. On to Cougars in the National Football League. Fred Warner had six tackles for the San Francisco 49ers in the 31-13 win in Seattle over the Seahawks. Zach Wilson and the Jets. He's the third-string quarterback this week, so he'll watch his team take on the Dolphins today. Taysom Hill, Jamal Williams, Daniel Sorensen, and the New Orleans Saints play Tyler Algier and the Falcons. How about that? Four Cougars in that matchup, in that rivalry matchup. And Puka Nakua, red hot once again. He and the LA Rams take on the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle Van Noy and the Ravens play Michael Davis and the Chargers. Blake Freeland and the Colts play the Bucks. And Sione Takitaki and the Browns play the Broncos. Number one seed BYU women's soccer has a shot to earn a spot in their second ever college cup tonight when they host 
Three seed North Carolina BYU of note has lost to the Tar Heels in the previous two meetings in the NCAA tournament. 2012 in the Elite Eight in Provo, just like it is tonight, and in the Sweet 16 one season ago. Coverage begins at 8 Eastern, Big 12 now on ESPN+. Men's basketball beat Arizona State 77-49 last night. First game of the Vegas showdown. Cougars made 14 threes on 42% shooting, led by Noah Waterman, who made a career high 24 points, 6 threes. Near the end of the game, there was a scuffle involving Atiki Ali. Atiki was not expected to play tonight. We're still waiting on official word on that, however. The Cougars play NC State on ESPN2 and BYU Radio pregame at 9 Eastern on the radio. BYU women's basketball working to remain undefeated as they begin the season tomorrow and they for host rather former WCC foe LMU for Eastern. That also available Big 12 now on ESPN+. Number 16 women's volleyball swept West Virginia in three sets on Wednesday, including a BYU rally era margin record 25 to five Woo! in the third set. Aaron Livingston was awesome. 18 kills in three sets at 500. Tomorrow the Cougars wrap up the regular season at TCU. Then selection Sunday is at 6 Eastern on ESPNU. Cougars likely on the fringe of hosting in the first or second rounds. They are absolutely in the tournament. It's just a matter of speed. And congratulations to Jordan Tiffany for being named the Big 12 Swimmer of the Week after yeah. breaking school records in the 100 fly, 100 back, and 50 fly and was on the 200 and 400 medley relay record-breaking teams as well. Have a week, Jordan Tiffany. That's amazing. Those are today's headlines. Now let's whip it. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Are you confident women's soccer gets revenge against UNC tonight? Yes. Next. It's going to happen, Jerem. It's going to happen. This team, they know what's on the line. They've already traversed Utah State in a tough USC game. They. They are playing with a ton of confidence. Obviously, beat Michigan State too, but th this is the year. Like they're going, they're a better team than North Carolina this year. North Carolina is really good. They've only given up multiple goals in two games this year. It's the number one offense in the country versus one of the best defenses in the country. It's it's an exciting matchup. Can't wait to uh, be a part of that one. I someone said, "Are you going to be in a suit tonight?" And I said, "No, you will not see my suit. I would be bundled up. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like 34 yeah. degrees out there. Come on now, call your shot." What will BYU Women's Volleyball's NCAA Tournament seeding or unseeding be? Well, they do, uh, they change it a little bit. So they have the top eight in each region. So BYU is going to be a four or five seed. If they're a four seed, they'll host. If they're a five seed, they'll be the second best team yep. in that group of four. <sighs> I want to say they'll be a four, but I, I, I guess they'll be a five. I expect a five seed. Yeah. Like, based on the RPI and losing to Kansas at home, like, I felt like Kansas at home, that loss was the backbreaker for BYU's chances to host. We don't have an updated RPI uh, since the 19th, and they were 15th, so slightly in at that point. But uh, we'll see, man. What stinks is, like, if they are a four seed, they're probably the 16th team, so they're the final four seed. And if they're a five seed, they're probably, like, the first five seed, meaning they're like the 17th yeah. team. I will take a four seed. Like, BYU at home has been really good. The one loss to Kansas. So, hosting means you're going to be at least in the second round, if not in the Sweet 16. Yeah, which for is sure. program standard. Okay, men's hoops currently first in the country in three-point attempts and three-point makes per game. Is 3YU officially back? In the regards of three-point attempts and three-point makes overall, sure. But the thing that made 3YU a few years ago so special is they were the best three-point shooting team in the country percentage-wise. BYU basketball right now is just taking a ton more and naturally making a lot more. So they can up the percentage a little bit, Jerem, by one or 2%. Maybe I'm ready to go back to the three YU thing. It's 38.1 and that's 43rd. 
Jake Toulson, TJ Haas. Zach Number Sully's one in the country. country. Yeah, that was special. Um, 3YU is not back, but what they're doing is shooting a lot and making a lot. If the percentage is higher, great. But I this version of BYU is awesome, man. Yeah. Like, this is a turning version of BYU. Can they keep this going if all year? If this team can shoot 40% or better from the three-point line and, and maintain this clip, then 3YU is back. Then 3YU so 40, is back. We're saying 40 yes, 40% gotcha. straight up. Last night, there was a scuffle, and Atiki Ali Atiki was engaged with uh, an Arizona State forward, but Mark Pope prevented Atiki from taking more swings or kicking the opponent by just stepping in. He boxed out the Arizona State guy. Is this Mark Pope's best box out in his career? It actually is. Uh, and that includes his career in Turkey, in the uh, you know Continental League in the United States. <laughs> now, now, to Atiki's uh, credit or discredit, he got not only a punch, but a kick in there. So he, he has to talk with Kai Nakua and Louis Lapuahu now to be in that conversation of guys who have who have done something like that the last couple of years. That's so well played by Mark, honestly. Like yeah. to get out there that fast and like intervene and get himself in the middle of that, like it significantly but, calmed things in a hurry. And by the way, uh, Waterman and Johnson who left the bench, not expected to be unavailable tonight. Yeah, they're not penalized for another game. We expected Tiki to, last night I, I asked, uh, there was no clarification on whether that was deemed a fight. If it was, and it should be, then uh, Tiki is suspended tonight. If you get in a second fight, by the way, you're out for the year. So it's a big deal. All right, let's not do that. It's a big deal. Okay. Don't do that. Uh, okay, one seed women's soccer taking on three seed North Carolina. This is as big of a game ever for BYU. Like college cup games were probably a little bigger, right? But this is huge. Tonight, eight Eastern, Elite Eight, Big 12 now on ESPN Plus. Let's go. Up next, time to make our picks in the Big 12 Roundup. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU football officially into the offseason. Head coach Kalani Satake already making moves on his coaching staff. We'll react to those specific changes being made with former footballer David Nixon. And BYU men's basketball enters the AP poll for the first time in two seasons at number 19. How much better can it realistically get for BYU basketball this season? The Cougars' best player right now is probably Noah Waterman, who joins us to discuss his improved play, 6-0 being ranked in Fresno State on Friday. And Top 5 Tuesday features the greatest comeback wins in BYU history. Where does Friday's Elite Eight women's soccer game compare to the Miracle Bowl? Questions for days. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Tuesday, November 28th. I am Spencer Linton, alongside a man who loves Pop-Tarts more than most, Jerem Jordan. I do love Pop-Tarts. Uh, I think I've had two in the last three days. We talked about it this morning, and so I had one for breakfast, uh, like a 14-year-old. Uh, the Pop-Tart Bowl will have an edible mascot, by the way. <laughs> Is so this your when, dream come true? No. My dream come true is that BYU <laughs> would go to a bowl game. When the oh. final whistle blows, the winning team will celebrate by eating the pastry mascot. Is that sanitary? I think that's kind of weird. But it's a good PR move because here we are talking about it. They won. We're talking about it. Yeah, what do, you, what do you do to make that so that it doesn't crumble and fall apart? Well, And, and how, wanna... how long is the mascot out and even 
available to be seen, or is it only revealed at the very end of the game? I don't know. Does he fall over and get grass and mud on it's, him? That's I, gross. I don't know. Where? What is the Pop-Tart Bowl? Is it the old Cheez-It Bowl or something? I, I don't have, even know what bowl I that is. I have no idea. All I know is it's one of 42. That's a lot of bowl games. And BYU um, wasn't, wasn't good enough to get into one of the 42. <laughs> so let's drown our sorrows in more Pop-Tarts. Best Pop-Tart flavor, by the way. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Raspberry? Okay, you're a raspberry guy? Sometimes brown sugar. See, I'm just classic frosted strawberry guy, but a lot of people like the s'mores one. The Oreo cookie one was, was good away a little while back. Yeah, Yeah, that's too strong for me in the morning. A little too sweet? Yeah, a little too sweet. You need something Although, that somewhat resembles healthiness? No, uh, that's not a thing for me. <laughs> um, but, uh, people put butter on Pop-Tarts. That's like a very popular thing. Butter? Yeah, it like enhances the flavor, kind of like salt on a, what? Like a steak. Butter on yeah. Pop-Tarts? Yeah, try it. I've never, right. ever and heard of that. I'm cutting off the crust on sandwiches and Pop-Tarts now. I'm like, the crust era for me is over. It took, on on Pop-Tarts? On everything. It took 40 years. <laughs> pies? Yeah, no crust. Why would I eat the crust? Because the crust sometimes is the best thing on a pie. No, the crust is the worst part. It's oh. too dry. Oh, what kind of pies are you eating? I got to get you to the right not dry crust. I ate zero pies at Thanksgiving, man. <laughs> I left Thanksgiving night to get back for Friday work. I got snowed in here, basically. We got Pop-Tart mascots that are edible. Good grief. Welcome to 2023, folks. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. What's Trending, presented by Tim Daly Nissan, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. I got a piece of key lime pie with delicious crust with your name on it very soon, okay? I, will, I, I cannot wait. I will do that for you. Yeah, let's go, baby. I would like to do that for all of the BYU football players, too. I know that they're down. They're not in a bowl game, and head coach Kalani Satake is already at work making moves on his staff. It has been reported notably by the Deseret News and the Salt Lake Tribune that offensive line coach Daryl Funk and tight ends coach Steve Clark will not return to BYU for the 2024 college football season. So, Jerem, with already two staff members on their way out, what's your reaction to those specific changes and what it could mean for potential other moves within, within the BYU football staff? Can't speak to the other moves, uh, but it's rare to keep an entire staff from year to year. Just keep that in mind. And uh, change is inevitable. It happens more often than you'd think. If you're super successful, people get plucked. Uh, if you're, you underachieve, people get let go. That's what happens. In this case, two changes have happened. Offensive line really struggled this year. They did discover more of a run game uh, in the last two games. They passed protected well enough most of the year. But it felt like, you know, halfway through, that was probably going to be a change that was pacing to happen. So not shocked uh, with the Daryl Funk move. A little bit surprised on the Steve Clark move with the, as tight ends coach there. Um, you know, I, I, I would gander that running backs in Harvey Unga was looked at closely, but I think in the last two games maybe that saved uh, Harvey's job with the way they were able to move the ball a little bit better. Tight ends probably underperformed uh, when all was said and done. Isaac Rex second on the team in catches in yards, thirds in TD catches, but, like, who else did anything? Yeah. Um, Ethan Erickson had two grabs for 24 yards. Ray Paulo and, and Matava Tase, when they came in, it looked like a run play most of the time. 
BYU ran the ball pretty well. Uh, second half against Sam Houston, the OU game, and first half against OSU. Outside of that, didn't really feel like BYU had much of a run game. And the, so these are the decisions that uh, Kalani Satake has, has taken, and that's looking from the outside in, of course. We don't see what happens in the room regarding accountability, attitude, cohesion, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's part of a big sequence here, Spence, of the next month where you've got two staff hirings now, seniors choosing to stare go with the uh, COVID year, like a guy like Ryan Rico and Tyler Batty and so sure. on. They can come back if they want, but they've been here a hot minute. And, uh, you know, is their stock high enough to go or not? Rico's got a nice draft profile now. Yeah. Um, you know, transfer portal opens Monday, closes January 2nd. The early signing period out of high school is December 20th through the 22nd. So we've got a big couple of weeks here uh, in terms of all kinds of potential changes. Remember, BYU found its running backs the last couple of years Sure. in this time frame, Chris Brooks and then Naden Robbins and so forth. So prepare yourself for potentially an eventful December. Coaching is just by nature a very volatile business. And... If you're the head coach or one of the coordinators, typically you make really good money. And so because you do get paid so much, the expectations are always high everywhere you go for every team. And it just creates a really volatile atmosphere. You never like to see position coaches who are not paid as well become, and, I, and I'm hesitant to use this term, but I, I can't think of another term. There are fall guys. You know, it just sometimes those are the guys that whether they deserve it or not, they take the brunt of it. Uh, the offensive line, to your point, like they did not perform nearly up to speed. And they, they were not as good as we thought they were going to be. They'll tell you that they were not as good as they thought they were going to be. Uh, and in fact, I, I know Daryl Funk, and I, I'm sure that he would echo the same. Like they just underperformed this year. And so the writing on the wall for that position was out early. Like that one doesn't shock me at all. The Steve Clark decision. I, I was a little surprised by. I thought maybe he would stick around for one more year. But again, to your point, the tight ends outside of Isaac Rex were not productive. I mean, and it's not just a one-year thing. You look back over the last two years, the tight ends just have not been what they were between 2019 and 2021 when they were thriving. But how much does that have to do with Zach Wilson and how the offense was called because of Zach Wilson or Jaron Hall. And how much does Tyler Algier factor into that, opening things up for the tight end? And This is Brigham. You right. can throw to the tight end. This is BYU. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. little surprise there. Everybody, I mean, after the news came out, like my text messages were immediately, well, who are they going to hire now? Who are they going to hire now? And I have been told, like, I'll, I'll give you this much. I have been told that BYU is going to, quote, unquote, be very ambitious in who they look to fill, specifically the offensive line position job with. Jeff Graham is available. Okay. If, if he would want to come back as a not coordinator. I don't know about the tight ends coach position. Ryan Pugh, question mark? All I know is that they will take, they've said, they we're going to take an ambitious approach. And so, yeah, you bring up, you bring up I, some names. I, I would love for them to say, you know what we're not going to do? Be ambitious with this. Of well, course they are. Well, they're always ambitious, but they're limited. Like, what, what they mean by that, let me clarify, is there's more money. We're going to pay somebody. There's more money to go and get somebody that is higher profile. You're a Power 5 team now. If you're not doing that, That's what are you exactly doing? right. What are you doing? So the, the question that came fine is, well, who are you going to get? And, I, and all, I, all I was told was, we're going to be ambitious with how we pay these position coaches. Like, there's I, more money there to go and get somebody that's I a want, higher profile. I want someone to be hired and be like, we're going to take a more passive, slow approach to things. 
We're going to not be aggressive. Of course they are. Well, yeah. yes, you can be aggressive, but you, you're limited. And BYU has been limited. So this is new territory for them. They are a Power 5 team. The there choice, is more money being allocated for these type of positions. It's, it's never happened before. your choice to be limited or not. Well, now you have the money and the freedom to do so. Is that not the case? I mean, isn't that a natural course of being added to the Power 5 position? Is you, you have you, more money to work with? You can do... You, that's your choice. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, BYU has been in those limited boxes forever, and now they're saying we're going to step out of that box. We're going to be a little more ambitious with who BYU could potentially go get. You mentioned three names. Jeff Grimes, uh, the UTEP head coaching job is open. I wouldn't be shocked to see him become the head coach at where he played college ball at the University of Texas El Paso. So that feels like a reach to me right now, but why not shoot your shot with that? It, yeah, and I don't know if you'd want to come back to not be a coordinator. Exactly. When he was a coordinator. Maybe he's the run game coordinator and the offensive line coach, and that brings a different pay scale. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Ryan Pugh's at Abilene Christian. He's been here before. He was a, a Grimes disciple. BYU loved him. Garrett Tujay's a name that popped up, but he's with NC State, and they're having a good season. NC State's like quietly 9-3 and three right now. So would he leave NC State and Robert and I as good buddy, who's the offensive coordinator there? So those are three names. But, but NC State, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Got him in Vegas <laughs> in basketball. All right. Uh, that is the situation. What do you think? Our question of the day is this. Daryl Funk and Steve Clark will not be returning, as we just mentioned, for the 2024 season. So what's your reaction to these coaching changes? Dennis Johnson on X says, I didn't see Clark coming. But a seven-year run as a position coach in the same role is a long one, truth, and change inevitably happens. Fresh voices, ideas can make a difference. All right. Greg Rosenhan on X. The offensive line needed a change. Bad performance this year. Lost the Barrington brothers. Change is good. Yeah, change can incite some really, really good things. Here's the one thing I hope It wasn't hope for. just the Barrington brothers that were lost, by the way. It's true. Whoever the coach is, specifically on the offensive line, that feels like the perfect place to implement an accountability coach. A guy that's going to be more of the mindset of Jay Hill. Like, the offensive staff needs an accountability guy. Like, a fiery accountability dude. Because that dude just wasn't there. And I think they would benefit from that. They had that dynamic mixed in with the personalities of Fessy Satake and Aaron Roderick. I, like, Jeff Grimes filled that role. Jeff Grimes was the accountability guy. I'm hoping he hires somebody like that. That has the right amount of intimidation. Right? Like, Jay Hill, I so talked to the... To tall. No, they don't have to be tall. Just bigger. The, the right amount of intimidation like that demands the respect, right? You're almost a little scared of them. I kind of want that for the offensive staff. So they have to be at least 6'3", 250. Okay. <laughs> Topic two. Men's hoops is number 19 in the AP poll. How much better, better will it get for BYU? I spent a lot of time going down this rabbit hole yesterday looking at what's ahead for BYU specifically in the non-conference based on the Ken Pomeroy ratings. Yep. And based in the seven remaining non-conference games, BYU was given a 94% chance or better in six of those seven games to beat the likes of Fresno State, Evansville, Denver, Georgia State, Bellarmine, and Wyoming. Utah's the tricky one. At Utah, the Utes are a top 50 Ken Palm team after a win at St. Mary's last night. BYU was given a 61% chance to win that game in Salt Lake City. ESPN has the opposite, by the way. Realistically, 12-1 in non-conference feels like... It, that could very well happen for BYU. Totally. But at 12-1, and 1, I don't know that BYU is better than where they are right now at number 19. Because if you win two more games, you beat Fresno State, you beat Evansville. Who are you beating that helps you climb much? Maybe I, they drop up one spot, but like you have to beat Utah. If BYU ran non-conference undefeated, they would go in 
to Big 12 play probably as a top 12 team. They'd be number 12, at least number 12, if you're 13-0, and 0, opening up against Cincinnati at the Marriott Center Which in you, Big 12 play. That's a game you should win at home. Like, <laughs> that's perhaps the most, the second most winnable home game. Cincinnati is 30, 36 in Ken Palm, by like, the way. Yeah, BYU's 10, so BYU should win, right? But, like, that's, that's a game. UCF is a game that I hope BYU wins in both when they play. Um, I have a hard time remembering who they play both. Because uh, there's so, this. It's all over crazy. the place. Yes, I just know that Kansas is not coming here. But um, yeah, it can get a little bit better. Like, I think if BYU goes to 12 and 1, yeah, they climb up and, and whatnot. Depends on the health of Foos. Like, if Foos yes. is available, you know, may, maybe Foos, if he, ha- we don't know yet, if he has a miss in the Fresno State game, but he comes back Tuesday against Evansville or whatever, you can win a couple of games without him. But you need Foos at Utah. You need him to go up against Brandon Carlson like, and, and Gabe Madsen. Like, good players. If Foose is there, and if Ali Khalifa gets healthy or, or some combination in the Tiki, right, then you're good. By the way, that situation with the Tiki, not a fight, not deemed a fight. So it's not, hey, if you do it again, you're out for the season. I don't know how that's not a fight, but oh. I'm glad it's not. So we good. It depends on the health of the front court because you don't have a lot of depth there, and you have two guys that are kind of banged up. If yeah. BYU can have at least Foose or Khalifa constantly, with the Tiki, then you're good. And you frankly, Noah Waterman has played more of a bigger role, rebounding, physicality. Like, if Foose is not available, then, then you throw yes, Noah into the but mix I don't defensively want, there. I don't want Noah to be a five. I want Noah to be a four. Like, <sighs> if Noah has to play the five, you're in trouble. Not because, not because of Noah. I'm just saying because of matchups defensively. Because yeah. I want Noah to drag the guy out and shoot threes and open the lane. BYU's 4-1 offense has been awesome. So let's say hypothetically, no three to me. Let, let's say hypothetically, Foos is out for a month. And again, I don't know. I'm this total, total speculation. If he was out a month, BYU, that'd be trouble. Okay, that'd be trouble. I still think BYU is good enough to go 12 and one in the non-conference. If Probably. Foos is out for a month, based on where the games happen and who the opponents are. BYU does not leave the state of Utah until January 9th. Exactly. By the way. Exactly. Baylor. This is a St. Mary's portion yes. of the schedule, and I love Randy it. Randy Bennett knew what he was doing, apparently. I love it. BYU, no, BYU tested itself, right? <laughs> they hosted San Diego State. And they went, went to, to Vegas, Vegas and yeah. played Arizona State and NC State. Yeah, Vegas. That's like out of the state, right? At Utah's a tough game. But even, even if Foose is not available for the majority of yeah. the remainder of the non-conference schedule, BYU is still good enough and deep enough to go 12-1. and one. The way they're playing right now, you feel certainly confident that, that could be the case, if not 13 ah, Got to have him back for conference play, though. Oh, my oh, yeah. goodness. No, no, no. Obviously, conference play is going to be a challenge that I'm looking forward to even more than we were a few weeks ago. How much better can it realistically get? Man, 13-0 on non-con, that would be something. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be something. I'd take 11-2, bro. Like 12-1, 13-0. feels like a reality. That's yeah. awesome. Our twofer Tuesday question of the day, your Finally. request was answered. Finally. The twofer F-E-R was answered. This is Utah. This is how we speak. Second is this, BYU men's basketball number 19 in the latest AP poll. You've heard our opinions. How much better will it realistically get for the Cougars this season? Brendan Smith on X answers, if BYU beats Utah and Cincinnati <laughs> and win the remainder of the non-conference and go 14-0, BYU could inch their way into the top 10. Absolutely that this could happen. possibility yes. is Real. You're already number 19. If you win eight games in a row from this point, including a win at Utah and a win over Cincinnati and Provo. And you stay Ken Palm. You keep 15, those metrics going. 20. Yeah, you're a yeah. top 10 team yeah. in going to Baylor on January 9th. In a top 10 matchup, oh. you're expected to compete in a way that we did not think before. 
Brendan continues. That would be huge <laughs> as BYU heads to Baylor yeah. for, yeah, yeah, you mentioned what could be yeah. I still a, the top 10 matchup. Wow. Daniel Rigby on X says, great sign so far, but I yeah. do worry about the lack of depth in the front court yeah. when BYU gets into conference play. Need to be healthy. And at that point, hopefully you have Dawson Baker. And what kind of dynamic does he bring? Because he only adds. I don't think he takes away in any way, shape, or form. I think he just adds to an already cohesive, amazing group. It's just like, how do you fit in here, and how do sure. you not disrupt what's already going on with your unique skill set, with the ball in your hand? Yeah, you need them all. And maybe that all. maybe yeah. that impacts a, a few of the minutes of a guy like Trey Stewart when Dawson Baker gets back involved. I don't know. Could be, yeah. I don't know, but Trey, to his Trey's credit, shooting well. to his credit, has filled an important role and has been a great defender. Like, who's not playing well for BYU men's basketball right now? Everybody's playing well. Like, it is so fun to watch. Check out After Further Review tonight, 7 Eastern on the BYU TV app and ESPN+. Plus. It is the season finale of the program as they recap what happened at Oklahoma State. Almost had them in double OT. Up next, we discuss the latest coaching changes with former Cougar David Nixon as we look back on BYU's first season in the Big 12. <laughs> what is happening on the screen right now? This is BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Allen is there. The size, the speed, the skill set, that's all there. And what they've learned and what they've gathered will push them over the edge to get these wins. I can build off of guys that want to be here and want to work hard and want to fight. They'll keep fighting, we'll keep working, and we'll get better. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play. -play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Coaching changes already happening as the Cougars move into the offseason. Earlier today, Jerem Jordan had a chance to speak with a member of our wheelhouse, a guy who, let's not forget, played four years in the NFL. All-time great at BYU. I knew that, yeah. Um, and he played on the mountain. We talked about that. Uh, <laughs> we talked about coaching changes, his nephews in the portal, and, of course, Jake Retzloff. Has she shown enough to be the guy going in the offseason, or should BYU also bring in a transfer? Here's my conversation with David. All right, David, a couple of changes coming uh, out of the coaching staff yesterday. Offensive line coach uh, Daryl Funk and tight ends coach Steve Clark will not return. What's your reaction to those two coaching changes? You know, it's tough. It's always tough when you lose coaches, right? I mean, Steve Clark, he was there when I was at BYU. A fantastic guy. Um, I mean, great coach as well, you know, but at the end of the day, this is a results-driven business, and um, the tight ends underperformed this year, and yes, there were some injuries. Uh, offensive line struggled, as we know, um, you know, mainly in the run game. They had some games where they actually blocked pretty well in the pass game, but the run game was almost non-existent, and so uh, obviously, you know, A-Rod and, and Kalani felt like those were the moves that need to be made, and so uh, they moved forward with them, but uh, it's it's always tough because those guys are BYU guys and, uh, you know, they were part of the program. But uh, I, I think specifically the offensive line will be really interesting to backfill that with somebody that's going to come in and hopefully help take off some of the pressure off A-Rod's shoulders and kind of be the run game coordinator and, and be that guy that whenever it's third and two uh, or, frankly, second and ten and you need a good run play, 
uh, A-Rock can call him up on the on the headset, talk to him on the headset and say, hey, what, what are we going with? And he'll have, uh, he'll have some plays dialed up and ready. So um, I, I think that will be a huge plus for this team moving forward is somebody that can really handle that run game. Um, and then, of course, try to work with this offensive line. There's going to be some turnover on this offensive line this year. Uh, can you go out and get some guys, whether it's in the portal uh, or, or develop the young guys that are already there uh, and try to make this offensive line much, much better? Because it, it was it was pretty rough this year. To me, it's a pipe dream, but Jeff Grimes is available, and uh, he's a former coordinator here. Would he want to come back and just do the O-line? I don't know, uh, but we know that he coaches the O-line pretty well, and uh, he did that a few years ago. So we'll see who BYU fills with those two spots. Um, do you expect any other coaching changes potentially? Should there be uh, anything else, or, or what do you expect? You know, I think it's going to depend on who they hire as O-line coach and this run game coordinator. And maybe, maybe he feels like there needs to be another move made or so. I don't know. Obviously, leave it up to him. Um, I, I think the coaches that are that are still there with uh, really Fessy and Harvey, um, you know, I, I think they're obviously very capable coaches. And, uh, you know, I know both of them really well. And, and I think they've they've done a great job. Look at what Harvey's done with, by bringing in Aiden Robbins. Um, they brought Ryden Brooks last year. I mean, there's he's done some great things with that running back room. Um, and he dealt with some injuries this year as well, with Aiden being injured almost half the season, right? And getting LJ, who's a true freshman, ready to play. So kudos to um, Harvey there. And then, of course, Fessy on the on the receiver side of things, there was injuries there as well. And you don't have Keanu Hill. You don't have Cody Epps. And so you're trying to develop Laster and Marion and some of these other guys and get him to plug in. I'll tell you what, you go, you go back and start thinking about the injuries this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. There wasn't a lot of continuity there. You talk about offensive line as well. The guys were kind of banged up coming in now. And I get it. That's all of football. Uh, but it seemed like this year, more than ever, the, the main contributors, especially going into the season, the guys who you thought were going to be uh, the guys and, and Keanu Hill and Cody Epps, you know, they were they were banged up for the majority of the season. And so, um, you know, those coaches, it was they, they had their work cut out for them this year, trying to get those guys ready. And I, I think for the most part, um, you know, the you look at the running backs, my receivers, I think they were ready. I think I think a lot of it falls on the offensive line and just a lack of running game and getting any type of surge and push, which actually we saw there in the last two games finally. They started to turn it back around. So who knows? That's that's going to be obviously a huge emphasis going to the offseason. Certainly those last two games uh, helped Harvey Yunga and the running backs in that regard where they had a run game at the end. Let's talk about the quarterback with Jake Retzloff. Did you see enough from him in the final four games? Tough games against two, three, four, fifth place teams in the Big 12 for him to be the guy going into the offseason. And or do you expect BYU to add a transfer regardless of that position? So I'm torn on this one. Uh, listen, you can't hide the mistakes that Jake made. And they were they were terminal. Right? They, they were lethal turnovers. And you can look back at the pick six against Oklahoma, et cetera. I, listen, I like what I saw from him. I think he's a, he makes plays. And he's a gamer. And, and you can't. And you can't discredit the fact that he's still young and he was still new to this offense. Um, but, you know, ultimately, to your second question, yeah, I think you've got to go find another senior uh, type type guy. And it didn't have to be necessarily a senior one and done. I know Kalani had mentioned he does, does not want to do that again. But go find a more veteran quarterback that can help Jake um, and also push him because maybe Jake is the best quarterback. Uh, and, and I don't think it's time to just push him aside, right? I mean, this is a guy who, depending on what the happens with the portal, maybe he has to be your guy. Maybe BYU doesn't have too many other options. Um, and so I don't think we we discredit him or just push him aside, but uh, I do think a, a, a more veteran quarterback that can help push him and, and, and coach him along, I think that's a huge plus. 
Um, but I, I like, I like Jake. I mean, yes, his throwing motion is unorthodox um, and he made some mistakes. We also did some great things in the run game. He got the run game going, which I, I think was a tribute to him and his dual thread and the ability to, to kind of, to make things happen with his legs. So I think if he can go in the offseason, continue to learn and, and go back and watch the film and say, I can't, I, we can't shoot ourselves on the foot like that. I can't just give up free points and turn the ball over. I got to protect the ball. Um, once again, we always talk about this, John Beck, Max Hall, those guys, they had some growing pains as well, right? I mean, all these young quarterbacks have growing pains. And I think Jake um, is in that same boat. I mean, he'll get better. And to your point, it was tough to kind of break him in with the toughest part of BYU's schedule, right? So you got to give him some flack there. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see kind of what happens. But I think adding another quarterback in this day and age, especially with the quarterbacks getting hurt, look at BYU. Keaton Slovis gets injured and you had to play Jake. So, uh, yeah, I, I think – I think adding another guy is probably uh, needs to be done. Lest we forget, he only played in the last four, which means he redshirted. So he still has two more years to play at uh, BYU, which is wild. Okay, let's ask you about your nephews. Uh, Michael and John Henry Daly have entered the portal. Certainly we're hoping to see them as BYU Cougars and be the next David Nixon, but unfortunately they're, uh, they're going to move on and go elsewhere. Yeah, that's a, listen, it was a tough decision for them. Uh, it's been a tough one for our whole family, right? I and mean, these kids grew up huge BYU fans watching all of us play. Um, ultimately, just feel like they want to get a different opportunity elsewhere. So uh, we're excited for them to see where they land. Uh, obviously, wish they would have stayed at BYU, but uh, that was in the cards. And so we support them 100%. We're, we're excited to see where they go. But, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. But they're both great players, and I think they're going to both have a bright future ahead of them. Um, Kalani was great about it and uh, wishing the best as well. And so, uh, you know, that's that's the day of uh, – that's how college football is these days with the transfer portal. You just – there's a lot of fluidity there, and uh, you know, it gives kids another opportunity to, to to go explore other options. So we'll see what happens. It is a different era, that's for sure. We're talking to David Nixon, who was a little fuzzy as you watched him on the mountain back when he played. Uh, but the the quality on Zoom is now better than when you actually played on versus on the mountain, which is crazy. Um, do you think you would have been drafted if you had played on ESPN? By the way, I'd have been the number one pick overall. Get if, out of here. Uh, if, if, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I we joke about it all the time. The whole the, the the fact that when we played on Versus was like a massive step up because we were actually on HD for that week. <laughs> that shows you how long ago I played. That's that's how desperate we were to to get exposure there. Is whenever we played Versus, we're like, hey, we're stepping up to the big leagues now. Like we're on Versus this week, guys, get ready. Uh, but uh, thank goodness those days are in the past for sure. I think Versus is a hunting channel now or something. I don't even know if it still exists. The Mountain Shock it still exists. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't actually know that. Um, it's not on my YouTube TV list, so whatever. Okay, yeah. defensively, where does BYU need to address and put its resources the most on that side of the ball? Man, that's a great question. I feel like every position group had some weaknesses. Uh, and once again, injuries bit them as well, but... I've been preaching this for every offseason for the last three or four or five offseasons. BYU has to get better at the defensive line. And I know that that's Jay Hill's emphasis going this offseason as well. He he needs to get his dues there. And I know they've got some good, uh, you know, recruits are looking at some good Juco transfers. Um, but that, they've got to find a way to shore up that D-line. And, and listen, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the guys that are here that decide to come back um, or not. But uh that, that it all starts with the D-line, especially in this type of defense. Like, you go back and watch that West Virginia game, TCU game, um, you know, Iowa State, where, where Iowa State and really West Virginia ran the ball at will against BYU. It all starts with that D-line. They've got to be more stout at the point of contact, and you've got to get dudes that can run your system. And and, I, and I'll give Jay Hill and his defensive coaching staff a pass this year because they kind of came in and inherited the guys that were already here. 
but you know, moving forward, they've got to go find a way to get their guys and 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 get the guys to perform to to what they want in their system. And um, you know, it's 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 going to be a grind. I mean, that, that's what Big Twelve is all about. It's going to be a grind year in and year out. And this year, the BYU defenses could not stop the run in critical times, and they came back to bite them. And so this offseason, they got to shore that up. Linebackers, I think BYU has a great, you know, young nucleus of linebackers. Um, I, I would like to see probably some more veteran guys come in, kind of like what BYU did with A.J. Babachan this year and brought him in. He was a fantastic addition to that linebacker room. Um, and then safety-wise, the secondary, you know, I like Talon Alfrey when he was healthy, what he brought to the table, getting Micah Harper back, got some young corners. It's going to be hard to miss Eddie Heckard and Garrett. Um, so, you know, there's going to be some turnover. But as there is every year with guys, you just next man up and – and a lot of these young guys have been waiting their time, right? They've been waiting for their chance and opportunity. And so now's their time to shine. Uh, you know, officially starts really yesterday and today. This is the start of a new season for these guys because there's no bowl game. So now's the time to start grinding. The last after further review of the season is tonight at 7 Eastern time. What can fans expect? I mean, the same thing every week. We're, we're, we're going to tell it like it is, right? I mean, we're going to try and show the great things BYU did, but also the not so great things. And, uh, it's uh, listen. It's a. I think it's a fun show for us. It hopefully is a fun show for the fans to kind of take take a look at. You know, for example, on West Virginia, why BYU couldn't stop the run, and we try to break it down and tell you why. So we'll do the same thing today. Uh, why BYU is so stagnant there in the second half, which was unfortunate uh, offensively. But uh, yeah, it's it's the last one, which is I'm honestly crazy. I think that this season is done. I, I it, it flew by in a, in a in a quick flash. It's always fun. Even when BYU goes 5-7, and seven, we enjoy every moment and we look forward to the offseason, which is now upon us. David, we appreciate the time. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. David Nixon, check out women's basketball tonight at Wyoming. A phrase that we don't need to say in the future anymore, but we will tonight and in football next year. 8.30 Eastern on BYU Radio with Shep. And as I look at bracketology, I wonder how many games would BYU men's basketball need to win this season to earn a top eight seed in the NCAA tournament? I'll tell you exactly what it's been the last few years. All part of the whip next on BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Goes far post, and off the post and in! What a shot and score from Brecken Mozingo! She'll try with the left, and score it to seal the deal! We are live in Studio B on a mega Friday for BYU Sports. This is your day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play. -play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Tonight, maybe the showcase game of the year if uh, across BYU Sports. We're talking about the College Cup, it is. right? The Final Four, and yesterday, Jerem and I had a chance to speak with head coach Jen Rockwood about getting emotionally ready for a second College Cup in three years, what you learned from the previous one that's going to help you this time around, and how you get right after coming down from emotional high of beating North Carolina. Here we go, two-on-one with Jen Rockwood. Jen, on a scale of 1 to 10, how is the weather in Cary, North Carolina, compared to the inversion-riddled 32 degrees in Provo, Utah right now? Probably a nine or a 10 out here. Uh, it's beautiful. It's about 58 degrees, light breeze, um, trees everywhere, green grass. Um, it's a beautiful day. Have you come down from the high of Friday? Because it was unbelievable, but also you have a game to play and the hope of winning a national championship in the next couple of days. 
Yeah, I think everyone is still trying to, to process uh, the game on Friday night and the, the magical moment it was uh, in front of our fans to, to have that big comeback. But uh, I think we're all riding high from it. Um, it should bring a lot of confidence to our players uh, coming into this big game against Stanford. So um, hopefully, you know, they can keep that in their minds and know what they're capable of. What is the key to processing through that remarkable, improbable, incredible win to get right? Because I think most of BYU Sports Nation is just still stuck in the magic of what happened against North Carolina. So how do you process that and then adequately move on? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about living in the present certainly all season. Um, and we know that uh, we were able to do what we did based on the process and just our players are very familiar with what we're trying to do. They, they do a great job of reading on the game. We've got great leadership, great experience. And, uh, and today and, and for tomorrow, we're just focusing on what got us here, and that is doing the little things, doing them well, um, trying to put out the outside distraction. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of uh, excitement around us being here, lots of family, friends, fans. So just kind of main focus, be intent in, in the things that we're thinking uh, and doing and uh, just be ready to go and be our very best tomorrow night. It should help that a lot of the players that played in 2021 in the College Cup are on this roster, are hungry to win it. You're going up against Stanford, who historically has been the bane of BYU's existence in this tournament, yet you knocked <laughs> them out in PKs last year. And this year, they've right. got one of the top defenses in the country. You're one of the top offenses. The goalie, Ryan Campbell, has the best goal against average. What do you think of that matchup of the great Stanford defense against the great BYU offense? Yeah, I think, I think it'll be a, a fantastic challenge for us. Is Stanford's only given up 10 goals. That has to be, like, number one in the country. Um, but, you know, the last three teams we played in the NCAA have also been one of the top in goals against, and, and we were able to find ways to score against them. We're, we're hoping that Stanford hasn't seen a team that attacks as well as we do, as dynamic and creative, and coming from so many different people, both the starters and off the bench. So, uh, you know, they're obviously a very talented team. They're well-coached. Um, they've been to the Final Four on many, many occasions. So I'm sure they're coming in very confident, uh, you know, being undefeated on the season. Um, but, you know, I think we're just trying to remind ourselves that we're, we scored 79 goals this season against some very good teams. Um, and if we focus on the process, continue to do what we do, and, and have belief that good things can happen. The legendary BYU women's soccer head coach Jen Rockwood is on BYU Sports Nation from the College Cup in Cary, North Carolina. Having experienced the College Cup recently, and this not being the first time for you and for, as Jerry mentioned, a number of your players, how is that advantageous this time around? Well, you know, I think the first time we went, you know, you're just kind of processing doing something that none of our other alumni or our former players have been able to do. And, and we were kind of just enjoying the moment of making there and being there. You know, it was kind of more familiar because we actually ended up playing at Santa Clara against Santa Clara on their home field. Um, so I think it was a little bit different feel. I think because this group had been there and they played together for so long and having the season of, you know, kind of being a top five, top 10 team all year, I think there's a different set of expectations here. And, and that is, that you know they came here to to play well and beat Stanford and then and win a national championship and that has been their goal from the beginning. We certainly know that uh, it's going to be a tough road ahead of us, but I think these guys are are battle ready. They've been resilient. They're confident, and you know we'll see what happens.
you've told us that this team is special in many ways and that they embrace the idea of, hey, let's go win a national championship. Let's be a one seed and host so we don't have to go to North Carolina. And, and like last year, you know, they bounce us. You bounce them out of the tournament. Now you're back in North Carolina, ironically enough, where last year you had uh, some success but ended the season. So what is the special sauce of this group that could put them over the edge and perhaps capture your first national championship? Yeah, I, I think that their ability to play uh, with each other, their familiarity with each other and, and how they play. And, and everyone is, um, you know, on the field in soccer, there's no timeout. So you have to have that leadership and that experience on the field. They have to be able to adapt in different situations, different scenarios, um, find different gaps, different spaces, uh, find advantages on the field where we can attack. And this team has been doing that all, all year. We, we played against a lot of great defenses. We played against different formations, you know, some different special players. We played about some unbelievable goalkeepers this year, um, and we've still found ways to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think the other great thing about this team is the depth of our bench, and um, we're deeper than we've ever been. I mean, we've got two girls coming off the bench that have 10 goals and assists. I mean, I don't think there's many teams out there that ever have had that type of attack coming off the bench. That's certainly what helped us um, outdo uh, UNC. Um, who's also always known for the depth of their bench. But I think that's a huge advantage for us for this weekend. Let's talk about some of those individuals who you rely on so heavily, who are also two of the 15 semifinalists for the Mac Herman Trophy, which is the Heisman Trophy of college soccer. It's awesome. We'll start with Brecken Mozingo. What has Brecken meant to this BYU squad this year? And frankly, what makes her so special? Yeah, Brecken obviously has, has had an amazing uh, senior year for us. She's, she's really find a, found a way to believe in herself and find her confidence. She's, she's our hardest critic, and, uh, but she's been able to battle through that mentally. And, and all these girls have worked a lot, not just physically, but also on their mental strength. And, um, and, and, and again, finding their cues, reminding them of their strengths. Um, but Brecken's someone that we can find the ball. She can find the pockets of space wherever that is based on our formation. That allows us to, to have her have the freedom to move and roam throughout the field. Uh, our team looks for her specifically because when she gets touches on the ball, she obviously can make some fantastic things happen. Uh, she's got a lot of assists for us this year, so she's not only dangerous with her shot, with her set pieces, uh, but also in the creativity that she can put the ball in the box and, and get her teammates on the end of it. I loved last week in preparing for the broadcast that you said, hey, and she even smiles now during the games. Like, she has <laughs> found a little more joy, right? <laughs> and then Lava, Leveni Vaca, goes sleeveless Friday night, like tongue and tough, right? She's been really good on the back end as well. Yeah, you know, Lava has had an amazing career for us. We brought Lava in as a freshman, and, and uh, you know, she got to, to be trained by some of the top defenders in the country her freshman year, and then kind of took over that mantle her since her sophomore year she's kind of been the boss of our back line uh and everything kind of goes through her we're allowed to play out of the back as much and as well as we do because we trust the ball at lava's feet and allow her to make those decisions so um you know not only is she a fantastic defender a 1v1 defender a shot blocker but as i mentioned our ability to control the ball and to take tempo uh, it kind of comes through her we play out of the back and a lot of teams don't do that very much these days Jen, we'll finish with Bella Foligno, who had the best week ever. I mean, she gets engaged. <laughs> she has a brace in that crazy comeback. Uh, just wild. Yeah. So she's celebrating the North Carolina win and some things in her personal life. And then she's named the Elite 90 Award recipient for having the highest GPA of any athlete at the College Cup. 
How do you bring Bella back down to uh, get, get her ready for the game against Stanford? Yeah, it's, uh, we're so excited for Bella. What a career she has had for BYU. She set such a high standard both on and off the field for, for everyone. And, and, you know, Bella is a humble, hardworking kid. So I don't think she's going to let anything go to her head. She stays down to earth. She stays focused. You know, uh, Bella as a forward is also one of our hardest working defenders. And, and that's one reason that she has to be on the field for us. Obviously, she has scored some unbelievable goals. But Bella's ability to fight and defend uh, at the rate and, and the tenacity that she does really sets the tone for our press and our defense. And obviously, if we can win the ball closer up the field, then Bella's going to be in front of the goal. And she's our best finisher in front of the goal. Jen, she's got a 4.0 GPA, and frankly, you've got a 4.0 GPA and a master's and a doctorate in coaching soccer. So uh, well done to all of you. We're so excited to watch you play against Stanford. We're sending you all the BYU all Sports Station karma we can muster for Provo. Awesome. Love it, guys. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Jen Rockwood on BYU Sports Station, big one tonight. College Cup semifinal. You can uh, watch it on ESPNU. Listen on BYU Radio, 8.30 Eastern tonight. Let's go. Up next, the punter, y'all. Ryan Rico has accepted an invitation to a college football all-star game. What are the chances he gets drafted into the NFL? This is BYU Sports Nation. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is on demand. You can download the free BYU TV and BYU radio apps. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and review it as well. The United Soccer Coaches have named BYU women's soccer seniors Brecken Mozingo, Laveni Vaca, and Olivia Wade Katoa Big time. as All-Americans. Mozingo and Vaca pick up All-America first-team honors. First team! Let's go! And Wade Katoa, a third-team honor. Congratulations to those three super seniors on Jen Rockwood's squad. Big time. BYU all the chips in with this team, with this group, for this run. So win tonight. Come win on. tonight. Come Get on, to baby. Monday! Our yeah. question that, of the that day. That means a lot for our program if BYU wins tonight, does. By the way. We'll see you yeah. in North Carolina if they win tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Tonight's women's soccer, women's volleyball, and men's basketball games. Again, if you haven't been paying attention, they all play at the same time tonight. It's a mega Friday. So what's your viewing setup for tonight's triple header mega Friday of BYU Athletics? Yeah, we're going triple header mega Friday. Let's go with it. Let's do it. Mega triple Friday header. <laughs> Thomas LeBaron on Instagram says... Watching men's basketball on TV, soccer on my laptop, volleyball on my phone. Go Cougs. Mike Perkins on Facebook. Sure. By the way, there are no wrong answers. No. Just have all three going on three something. Three phones. Mm -hmm. Great. Three tablets. Three TV. Great. Mike Perkins on Facebook. I will be at basketball. We'll watch soccer on my phone. Need to sell my volleyball tickets. <laughs> and we'll watch at home afterwards. Too many options. Why are they all at the same time? I know. It, it, think about the crossover here. Because volleyball has to make the tournament for this to happen. Soccer has to go... To the, or no, to the College Cup. And go to the College Cup for this to happen. Yes. So this is a special night and weekend for BYU Sports, man. Our elite voice of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated from Troy Sylvester in on Facebook. Sylvester? Who, who says soccer is the most important tonight. Close to a national title. Agreed. Then volleyball, it's the tournament. Mm -hmm. Then men's basketball. So Amen. main TV has soccer. Yep. 
I'll roll in an extra TV I have for volleyball. Love it. Keep track of the men's basketball game on my phone. Ah, you need a tablet. Go or, yeah, Well, phone is good too, yeah. But not like stats. You got to have the feed. Yeah, yeah I'm, I almost want a dual phone setup so I can follow, you know, college football, especially specifically BYU position coach uh, Twitter rumors. <laughs> <laughs> and then have the three set of soccer TV, you know, volleyball it's, on computer, men's awesome, basketball man. on another TV. Yeah, let's go, man. Tonight's great. Like if you're a, if you're a, and if you watch this show, you're like a total BYU sports fan, right? Because we cover all the sports here. Tonight's the peak. It's a special of the night. Entire year. Yes, special One night. One of the greatest nights in BYU overall sports history in terms of, you know, NCAA tournaments and whatnot. Let's go. Today's Rise and Shout Out presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. It's tied into what you just said. Yeah, just a huge weekend. Hopefully, BYU wins all of them. Let's go. Go 4 0 in these games this weekend. Let's make it a mega victory. I'd weekend. take 3 and 1 too, but I want 4 0. <laughs> Our thanks to today's guests, Jen Rockwood and Heather Olmstead. A couple of head coaches on the show. Sorry to Dennis, ran out of time. You didn't play in any of the NCAA tournaments. <laughs> for Jeremiah, I'm Spencer. Shout out to Camry Willardson. We'll see you tonight for volleyball, soccer, and basketball. All on ESPN Plus. Go Kooks. All night. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Let's take this to the big board. It's Top 5 Tuesday. And on the heels of an improbable win by women's soccer against North Carolina, naturally we thought, what are the top five comeback wins in BYU sports history? Start us off, Jerem. Number five, men's volleyball, UCLA. 2013 MPSF semifinals. BYU lost the first two sets at home. Won the third set, 25-18. In the third set, BYU was down 7-1. Came back to win that one, 26-24, and then triumphed 15-10 in the fifth. It's one of the best volleyball matches ever played in that gym. You're down 7-1 in a set. We thought it was over. Oh, man. Not to be. At number four, this happened rather recently. Kenneth Rooks in the steeplechase, in the national final, if you will. Trips. Falls, has to get up and chase everybody down, and he wins it as part of the NCAA Outdoor Championship. He also competed in the World Athletics Championships as well because of this win. That was the, the US Championship, that race. That was unbelievable, right? Which, which was crazy. And uh, what a year for Kenneth Rooks, right? Unbelievable. Number three, men's basketball, 2012, Iona. You remember this one, right? BYU down by as many as 25 in the first half. Came back to win this thing. Noah Hartsock, Brandon Davies. This is the year after 2011 and Jimmer Fredette, right? Largest comeback in NCAA tournament history. How about that? Demarcus Harrison, Brock Zilstra. Let's go. That picture of Zilstra. That's iconic right there. Summed that's, it all up, baby. Iconic one. At number two, what's it going to be? It's what happened in the snow globe on Friday night. Number one seed BYU trailing North Carolina three to nothing. Bella Folino finally took the lid off of North Carolina's goal, 3-1 in the 61st minute. Then Brecken Mazingo's Olympico followed like a minute later by Bella Folino's second goal to secure her brace to tie it at three. And then Olivia Wade Katoa with just a nasty touch and a rocket fire score into the right corner of the net. BYU wins 4-3 in 
incredible. Real argument for that one to be like tied for first or better than number one, but I know that you agree with this, most of you. The Miracle Bowl, 1980, BYU's trailing late by 24 and uh, comes back to win like unbelievable. You're down right? 20 with three minutes to play. 20 with four, three-ish minutes left. BYU wins this game. The Hail Mary, of course, the block punt by Bill Shefflin. Clay Brown from Jim McMahon, super iconic. First bowl win in BYU history, unbelievable. A lot of vibes from soccer, where it's like, I turned it off and then I turned it on and I couldn't believe we won or I left or whatever. Yes. A lot of people I've heard similar vibes from that one where they're like, oh, I miss it. Incredible. <laughs> and that Miracle Bowl win, I've said it before, Lavelle Edwards saying, it's the most pressure I've ever felt in a game that I've ever coached, even more than the national championship, that game. Because BYU couldn't win the bowl game. And it took yeah. that to win it. Well, you're playing a six and five Michigan team, so let's press. Holy cow. Our two for Tuesday question of the day is this. How much better will it realistically get for BYU men's basketball this season? Our elite voice of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated comes in from at two underscore six underscore Simo on X who says, Foose and Dallin Hall are two of the most indispensable players at their position. So if Foose can get healthy and Hall stays healthy, they can be great. Turning team with enough shooters to make a run. Oh, yeah. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio.